Let's pray. Father, we, we do come here needing you for quite a lot. We come here needing you to comfort us, to aid us in our walk with you, to forgive us of our sins, to give us comfort, to, Lord, to, to care for us when we feel quite fragile sometimes. And so, Lord, as I pray as we, as we dig in to this psalm, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, as you are seated on your throne in heaven, that you would care for and minister to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not one for, certainly for pitting the church against itself, but it's good to know who our committed people are. A time change and an eight-inch snowstorm, and, and you're the ones that show up. This, it shows me a lot. That's all I'm saying. That's uh, the second service. I, I just expect all of you, when you look at them, just to go, oh, okay, now you come. You know, just <laughs> lay it on thick. That's what we want here. No. Um, into what we are actually talking about. There are a lot of, we'll call them modern advancements, that make our lives substantially easier, that uh, make it possible for us to do things we can never do before. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about like new technology. I'm certainly not talking about AI. That kind of freaks me out. But what I am talking about is think about this. We can get from here to Oregon in a matter of hours without ever contracting dysentery, never having to even ford a single river even during a drought, I can, at several points in my house, get as much clean water as I want. It's amazing. And I can have phone calls and video calls with people anywhere on the globe with almost no delay. <clears throat> the only thing we're lacking is the true Back to the Future 2 hoverboard. The one that actually hovered. I think that's the only thing our world is really lacking as far as technological advancements, and I'll, I'll fight you on it. But I want to go further back, because none of those things are really that new. But if we go further back, historically speaking, we find another advancement that is, while much older, <clears throat> I would argue much, much more significant. And that's the advancement of the new covenant. Think about the old covenant and what it was to worship God in the old covenant. And you would have to worry about your cleanliness and your uncleanliness. Do I need to like go like bathe at the end of the day? Like obviously you do, right? Like, um, but for ceremonial cleanliness, did I touch anything I wasn't supposed to? Do I, what all do I have to repent of? In going to the temple, what animals should I bring with me? It's been, it's been a rough month. I better bring a couple sheep. Uh, I better, better have my, my grain offerings with me. I better have all of this. And then on top of that, 
And this is where I really want to dig in on this modern advancement. is isn't, isn't so much all the animals I had to bring to the temple, but the fact that I had to go to a specific temple. That while in my village I may have a synagogue where I can hear from a Levite who would tell me about the law, teach me about walking with God, teach me the history of my faith. Well, I could have those things in a local synagogue. There were very key and essential parts of my worship to God that could only happen if I traveled to Jerusalem. Think about that. In your walk with God, if there are parts of your walk with God that were absolutely essential and you had to take a multi-day journey to do those things. You couldn't send a telegraph. You couldn't, you couldn't have someone do it for you. You had to go and present your lamb or your pigeons and you had to present those and then a priest would offer that for you. But before you could even get there, You'd walk days. And so people would walk for days. And on their way there, they would sing these songs, these songs that we know as the Psalms of Ascents. It's these Psalms of going up, going up to Jerusalem to worship. They, were, they would sing, think about this, they would sing to prepare themselves for worship. It's like tailgating, but holy. On their way to worship, they're worshiping, reminding themselves of who God is, of what he offers. And I think there's part of it where they were reminding themselves, here's why we're doing this. Here's why we're walking this far. Because God is my help. God gives mercy. God is my keeper. God is my only hope. He's the one I need to trust in. I'm grateful that when Christ was sacrificed, when Christ was crucified, the veil was torn. And we don't need to do that anymore. But I'm also grateful that we have these songs because they teach us a lot. And a good song, especially a good song of worship, ought to teach us very true things about our God that we are singing to. But we don't have to travel. We have the greatest miracle of all, which is that we become temples of the Holy Spirit And so while these people in this time would sing these songs while traveling from point A to point B, we still need to get from a point A to worship, which is essentially what they were doing. And maybe for you, that point A to worship would seem a bit easier if it was as simple as just walking a few days. We have our weeks that are tough. We're evaluating, when we're looking at this, whether it's this week we've had, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago that was really bad, evaluating what's going on in our hearts and minds. Uh, it seems like a long walk would be a much easier path to get from my point A, wherever your point A is, whether that's 
that's anger or exhaustion, burnout, anxiety, addictions, fear, or other distractions, when we think of getting from point A to worship, and so this year as we approach Easter, we're going to be looking at this, learning from these songs sung by worshipers on their way to offer sacrifices. And we're not going to get all of them. We're actually going to start with the second one, which is Psalm 121. So I invite you to open it up or find it on your screen. And let's read together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Praise our God. The all-powerful creator God is the source of my help. Do you see that in the text? The all-powerful creator God is the source of my help. You can imagine the walk through the rugged countryside of Israel leading up to Jerusalem. And in your traveling group, you're in a bit of a valley and you're just surrounded by these hills and this song breaks out. As these other songs have been breaking out over and over because singing makes the time go a little bit quicker and they haven't yet invented the traveling DVD player to put on the back of a donkey. And so here you are in a bit of a valley looking up at these hills and someone up ahead starts singing, I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come? One thing that's puzzled expositors for centuries is what thought exactly was brought about by the hills that they were seeing? What were they really thinking? What, what emotion was stirring? Were they, A, and, and, and there's no real conclusion on this. I have an inkling, but there's no like resounding consensus. A, I need help from the hills. Because the hills, one, I got to get over them at some point, and it's exhausting. My legs are already burning. My feet hurt. I'm dehydrated. I'm tired. And two, the hills are where the robbers would hide. And they'd look for an opportune moment to seize the travelers and steal from them. And so the hills might have been a little bit scary because that's where danger would lurk. And it would be hard to detect it. 
But I think, I think they were looking at the hills as, is there a source of help in the hills? After all, one of the great kings of Israel, Israel had found his solace and protection in the hills. David, hiding from Saul. And it might have been some of these same hills they were looking at. As there's this protection and a shelter. And it might also have been looking up at the hills and recognizing that many people who were supposed to be the covenantal people of God had gone to the tops of those hills looking for help. Offering sacrifices on the high places. Trying to find a source of help that was not actually a source of help at all. Searching for fulfillment, searching for aid, searching for relief in all the wrong places. Seeking their spiritual help, maybe on the tops of these same hills. So whether it is, I need help from the hills in the danger they pose, or I need help that is found within the hills, either way, the same theological truth answers both. The hills themselves are of no help. They don't care. They're literally just a noun. Nothing more. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My creator is greater than his creation. The one who helps is the creator of heaven and earth. No one in their right mind would boast of some magic box in their wall with these little openings that you stick something in and a lamp turns on or my, my phone charges. No, they would say, I have electricity. So why would we look at creation, even marvelous creation, and say, oh, there's great help there? When that creation can't help, but the creator of that creation absolutely can. And I hope you hear it. I hope you see it. That there's great confidence in these worshipers, in this songwriter. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is the source of my help. He's the one who aids me. He's the one who helps me. And now the song is going to launch into this very repetitive chorus of sorts. He keeps you. He is your keeper. He keeps you over and over and over again. You can't read Psalm 121 and at the end go, Oh, I wonder what the point is. The point is your help comes from the maker of heaven and earth and he keeps you. Imagine, imagine walking up, you're, you're towing all your sacrifices or, or your money to buy the sacrifices. You're nervous for all the things that could go wrong in, in travel. And you're singing this song. And the Lord is my keeper. I hope that this morning, and I think 
way back then, but that this song would motivate worship, would motivate us all the more to cry out to God for help. Because he is our keeper. The all-powerful God continually keeps me. Notice the personal language that's going to follow here. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then down in verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. The sun shall not strike you. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming. This is a deeply personal song. And while in the covenant community of Israel, there certainly would have been a plural you understanding. He keeps you, O Israel. In fact, Israel is mentioned. And we could read this as believers and say, he keeps his church. He keeps you, O body of Christ. But we should certainly look also at the personal intimacy of this. The Lord keeps you. The intimacy of a God who walks with us in our disappointment, in our heartache, in our confusion. He walks with us in our questions. He walks with us in our loneliness. He walks with us in our uncertainty. And as you walk through, whatever it is you're walking through, whether it feels like a pretty mundane and monotonous season, almost like walking on a dirt road through the countryside with a fairly bland landscape, or as you're walking through something much more difficult, the Lord is your keeper and you matter to him. There's also a constance to this that we see in verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. Listen, listen to this. There's a repetition. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is a poetic emphasis that the song is drawing out. Our God does not sleep. I think of Elijah when he's mocking the prophets of Baal. And one of the things is, hey, you got to call louder. He might be sleeping. He might be busy. Our God is not too busy. And he's not taking a break. He's not on his lunch hour. He's listening to our prayers and he's actively working in us. You think of attentive parents who love their kids and want to watch over their kids. But ideally, ideally for those attentive parents, there's eight hours, one third of every day, where they are completely unconscious. Ideally. And despite all their affection and well-meaning intention, they're out of it. The Lord is not asleep for a third of our life. He's awake. He's attentive. And even when I'm asleep and super vulnerable, unaware of what's going on, the Lord is watching over He's watching over you. He will hold you fast. He will never let go. His keeping is constant. 
He who keeps you. He who keeps Israel. He who keeps the body of Christ, the church, will neither slumber nor sleep. The all-powerful God, creator God, continually keeps me. And he keeps me when I am in need of relief. Look at these next verses. This is where the, the context of this song being sung really, really informs us. As they're walking through the long desert highway, cool wind in their hair, sorry. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you down by day, nor the moon by night. They're in this wide open landscape. It's hot, they're exposed to the elements. Shade would have been a precious commodity. You can imagine coming up and you see a tree in the distance only to get there and be disappointed that the shade is completely packed with people and animals trying to get relief from the sun. And here he's saying, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. He's the one. He's available to protect you, to give you relief. There's a simplicity to this. I think when so many times when I think of the Lord being my keeper, like these big cosmic like gestures of rescue and deliverance come to mind. What about like when life is just flat out exhausting and I'm sick of it? I'm just tired and I need help. And just in subtle, gentle, almost unnoticeable ways, the Lord will come and offer that help and shelter and protection. He is your shade at your right hand. Don't miss it. Don't miss these moments where the Lord is your shade, where he's just watching over you, providing something that seems simple, that seems just normal, and it's the Lord's care. It's his favor in your life. I know there's so many times I miss that. But some of the sweet moments in my faith are when I see the Lord is the shade at my right hand. And I can celebrate that. And I can keep track of that. And I invite you to do that. Take some time over this week. Sit down and think, what are just simple ways the Lord has given me relief? Maybe in going through a really trying time, you're like, I was oddly happy this morning. That's the shade at your right hand. That season where you're really alone and you felt the warmth of community. That's the Lord giving you shade at your right hand. It's personal. It's small gestures that are meaningful and that legitimately aid. But there's also something telling here because God is all-powerful. He could have said, oh, worshipers in Bethany, let me put you, like I'm just going to build one of those airport walkways where all of a sudden you're walking three times as fast, but you're exerting no more effort. I'm just going to put one of those right out there and it's just going to be easy. He could have done that. He could have done like, he could have beamed them up and set them down at the temple. He could have done that. He's God. But he didn't. He let them continually walk this slow, grinding path 
and provided them shade along the way. The Lord could pull me out of whatever trial and desert road I'm on. He could just, it's easy now. He could do that. But in his sovereignty, he doesn't. And in his grace, he gives me shade along the way. He provides small bits of encouragement and comfort. The daily mercies and grace. He has us there for a reason. He cares for you. He shows it in these little things along the way. Finally, as this song is coming to an end, we see that the Lord is also, he, he keeps me from the fullness of my sinfulness. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. It's easy here to think of the dangers on their journey of beasts that were roaming the landscape that would threaten their livestock, threaten them, the robbers and the thieves who would do anything to take all they had and just leave them for dead. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Whether you walk for days or drive for five minutes, the greatest journey, the greatest danger on your journey from point A to worship is not the hills, it's not the thieves, it's not what can happen while you're sleeping, it's not the dehydration, but it's wickedness. And verse 7 has this outlandish promise. The Lord will keep you from all evil. And so I want to ask a question. As I approach worship, what is the greatest evil that's a threat? What's the evil inside of me? As I go to approach the holy God of heaven, the greatest threat of evil is that which comes from within me. It's easy to read this and think of the external evil, but I absolutely need to look at the Lord keeping me in my own personal evil. Their own personal evil is why they were on this road to begin with. If they didn't have their own personal evil, they wouldn't have to go offer sacrifices. And so looking at this outlandish promise that the Lord keeps me from all evil, he keeps my life, he keeps my coming and my going, the dailiness of my life from this time forth and forevermore, How does he do that? How does he keep me from my own evil that's from within? Because I can get ADT or whatever security system. You know, you guys, some of you outdo the National Guard camp in your own personal armory. 
But that's going to do nothing for the evil inside of you. Well, the Lord does a few things. I want to point to just three simple things the Lord does for us in this. And then we're going to point to, obviously, a grander thing. So three practical things the Lord does for us. is one, he gives us a way out. Paul tells us in the Corinthians, no temptation has seized you beyond what is common to man. And the Lord is faithful. He will always provide a way out. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, Am I looking for a way out? Or am I trying to find a back door in? Am I looking for a way out of this temptation? Or am I looking for a way to be surprised by temptation where I go, oops, I sinned. (laughs) All the while, we were really eagerly looking for that. The heart is deceitful above all things. So we need to be pretty aware. And if you're struggling in a sin, I want you to start eagerly and constantly asking God, God, could you like just put some neon lights around those ways out? Could you make that way out abundantly clear? Because I'm kind of dumb and I need some help. The second thing he does is he gives us wisdom and he gives us his word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the foundation of wisdom. How can a young man keep his way pure? Through your word, God. Through walking according to your word. God has given us so much in here if we would just take time to really study it, to really get into it to let it actually shape us, to correct us, to teach us, to reprove us, and to lead us in righteousness, that we would guard our life according to the word of God. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then the last practical thing he does is he just gives us himself. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. And the work of the Holy Spirit starts with convicting of sin and moves to leading us to truth. And it also equips us for righteousness and service. I need the Lord. Oh, how I need Him. I, I first became aware of Psalm 121 when I was serving at a camp in Nebraska. And we sang one night at chapel. We sang this very simple song based on Psalm 121. I thought, wow, that song's great. What's the title of it? Oh, Psalm 121. Wow, the Bible has some good stuff in it. I was a dense 15-year-old. It blew me away. And the chorus, which was not found in here, just echoed of, I need the Lord. I don't need a help that comes from the hills. The hills can't do anything for me while I'm sleeping. the The hills can't help me with my sin. Nothing in there can. I need the Lord. I need the Lord who is my keeper. 
How many times, I, I just think of how many times where the Lord has, while I've not ceased to sin, the Lord has certainly kept me from what my sin could have become. He's led me to righteousness. And He ultimately keeps me from the effect of my sin that would separate me fully from Him. Part of the Lord keeping me from my sin, keeping me from all evil, is that He took the evil from me and He placed it on His Son. And as the people were going to offer sacrifices, they're saying the Lord keeps me from evil. They're, they're dragging behind them animals that are going to die for their sins. And we come singing this song, remembering our Savior who died for our sins to keep us from evil by ultimately removing that evil from us. The Lord took it from us and he placed it on his son. Oh, he's our keeper. And he watches over us. As those who are going to serve in communion come forward, would you pray with me? Father, it is so good even that we can in this moment call you Father because you are our keeper. You are the one who has forgiven us our sin. You are the one who would would take the evil from us. That the maker of heaven and earth would use his power, you would use your power on those of us who are so undeserving for our good, removing our sin from us. We thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.